0: The talk you're about to listen to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. To find out more about Penn State Crew, or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out pennstatecrew.org.
1: In the spirit of not staying late into Friday night, we can get started. Is that cool? Yeah. Tell so you what we're going to do while you're eating pizza, and then we'll get a morning introduction. You've got one handout that says quotes from the master plan of evangelism. You see that? Okay, who knows, who knows what this book is? Anybody read this? One of you have? Let me tell you what the book is, and I'm going to have you do something. This book is written by a guy named Dr. Robert Coleman. Uh, he's in his 80s, probably mid to late 80s now. And uh, he wrote this book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. It is considered a classic book about discipleship. He's one of my heroes of the faith, because in his 80s, he still disciples men. Last time I had lunch with him, uh, he talked about having a dozen men still coming over to his house to disciple that he's involved with. He's a seminary prof. He'd been a missionary overseas, blah, blah, blah. This book is a must read for anybody who's serious about discipleship. Okay. What this is, is uh, his book is a study of the life of Jesus and what Jesus did with his 12 disciples. The whole book is talking about what he did with them. Okay. It's the primer, the primer. What's the right way to say it? The primer. Primer on discipleship, all right? This book massively influenced my life when I was here as a college student at Penn State. Okay, I was, our, our team leaders, the, the Tom and Hannah version of at that time, took us through this book in a room like this, um, chapter by chapter. And it totally gave me a whole philosophical, theological understanding of what Jesus did with the 12 disciples, okay? So it's a must read sometime over winter break, next summer, it's an easy short book I wanted to have somebody bring, but I forgot. It's not that big, and it's a masterful study of what Jesus did with the 12 disciples, okay? So here's what I'd like you to do while you're eating pizza. And they should go back and get more pizza while we're doing this, right? Would you take this page of quotes and read it with your pen? Make note of a particular quote that really stands out to you, and then we're going to share together in just a minute. So while you're eating pizza, please go back and get another piece of pizza while we're eating because you've got a couple minutes here just devour these two pages and make notes of what really strikes you from these quotes these are all the quotes from his book All right. okay i'm going to dive in and listen i want this to be i want this to be as interactive as possible you know we're in a class it feels like a classroom as opposed to so try to ignore that and interact with me okay uh... let me ask you this why did you come to this seminar i mean i want to know seriously like questions things like just why'd you come what do you hope to learn from this time a couple of you tell me I'm trying to figure out like
0: what i'm gonna do with the rest of my life
1: oh, okay Ooh. okay <laughs> uh, this is not exactly going to be a god's will type <laughs> seminar were you thinking it was no i'm saying
2: more of like like if i don't know how to explain it there's a lot of talk in my head but just like Okay. supposed
1: to be impacting the world through my individual life okay well then we will do that I i didn't want you to think we're going to be talking about god's well we could do that that's another whole subject all right but what else that's that's great what else what are some reasons yeah um i came here because more recently i've met a
0: lot of people who seem to have had questions pertaining to the significance of their life and the
1: significance of what they're doing Okay. And Okay. Let me go and maybe I Okay. All right. How many of you are presently being discipled by another person? Let me see your hands. Someone's involved in your life as a discipler. Okay. How many of you are presently attempting to disciple somebody else? Okay. Many of you are. Fantastic. All right, great. Okay. Well, let me pray for us, and we're going to dive in. Lord, thanks for these men and women who've come on a Friday night, of all things, uh, indicative of their hunger, their desire to walk with you, uh, to have a ministry in other people's lives. Holy Spirit, would you teach us tonight? Would you make this fun, enjoyable, Would we learn from each other? Lord, would you be gracious and help me communicate uh, clearly, articulately, about uh, things from your word about discipleship that could help us? Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so most of you were at my talk last night, right? And the whole point of last night was to talk vision for why we disciple, okay? Uh, And so I want to do a little more on that, but I want to get even more to into the how-tos, the practical, right? What you do when you disciple somebody. But I want to spend a little more time on why we're even thinking about this. And that's why I had you read this quote. Now, we all know the Great Commission verse, right? What's the Great Commission verse? Matthew 28, 18 to 20, which says what? Who knows it in Greek and Hebrew and Pig Latin? Go into all the world, right? And do what? Make disciples of all the nations. Now realize that's one way Jesus stated the Great Commission. There's another way he stated the Great Commission in Mark, which was go into the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. You hear that? There's both a quantitative and a qualitative way that Jesus talked about the Great Commission. In Mark, he's saying, proclaim the gospel to everybody. Quantitative. Everybody needs to hear about Jesus, right? Matthew 28 is the qualitative. And while you're proclaiming the gospel to everybody, Mark 16, make disciples. In fact, in in the Greek, in Matthew 28, when it says go make disciples, the go there is, as you are going... As you're in the process of going to proclaim the gospel to all creation, make disciples. You hear me now? It's qualitative, it's quantitative. But they aren't, these are not in, contra- in contradiction to each other. These go hand in hand, right? Now, that maybe came out in some of these quotes. Who would want to share one of the quotes in here that really grabbed you, and why did it grab you? I just want to hear from a few of you. You look at those quotes. These are some of the best quotes. They're all from the book, The Master Plan. Tell me which particular quote and why. And can you stand up and so everybody can hear you real clearly?
2: Jesus um, was not trying to impress the crowd, but to usher kingdom. This meant that he needed men who could lead the multitudes. So I feel like a lot of times we're um, you know, sharing, or like, we're like trying to tell people school, we're um, trying to make it like, this shiny
1: thing. Where is like the gospel like that for itself? I um, don't need to try to impress anybody. Um, like it should be impressive in itself. Right. Okay. Thank you. And your name is? Kelly. Kelly. Okay. Yeah, good one. Yeah, okay. A couple others. What Which quote really grabbed you from reading these quotes? And why? Yes?
2: Um So on the first front page, the last one, Devoted most of his main life on earth to these few disciples, he literally took his whole ministry upon them and the world would be could be indifferent toward him and still not defeat his strategy. Um, I love the last sentence because like personally I get really defeated really easily, but it's saying like the world could reject you, but it's like it's not reject it's not changing God's message.
1: Okay he can do it himself. Um, and it's not gonna defeat his strategy because God's bigger than me and everyone in this room. Beautiful first name? Amy. Amy? Okay. Couple others. Which quote really grabs you and why? Yeah.
0: Mm. Um So I like that quote because it shows that even though we are imperfect and we are full of sin, Jesus can still use us mm. in a variety of ways. And um, that
1: really we can be really made perfect, but we can be uh, effective tools for his first verdict. Okay, beautiful. First name? Ambria. Ambria, okay. Okay, a couple others. What are these quotes? Else? we had three good women, men. Any men here want to comment <laughs> on these quotes? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, Brooke. And your name is? Adam. Adam.
0: Uh, very last one in the back. Uh, one must decide where he wants his ministry to count. In the momentary applause of popular recognition and the reproduction of his life, in a few chosen men who will carry on his work after he is gone. Um, that just speaks to the idea of legacy, like where we're storing up our, our treasures. And do I really care about the presentary satisfaction? We talked about that last night a lot. Of, you know, like, oh, it's great when Penn State football is doing well, but then when they're not, if my you know, mood and outlook on life is affected by that, there's an issue. <laughs> um, so <laughs> aside from that, <laughs> right, if, if your legacy is carried on in um, your heart for people is carried on um, through those things,
1: Beautiful. Well said, Adam. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. When you read this book someday, uh, you'll read more of what he's saying here. You know, the thrust of the whole book is that Jesus' whole strategy to build a kingdom that would uh, pervade the whole world was he took 12 people, right? And he invested in those 12 people. And we are here today, 2,000 years later, because of what he did with those 12 people, which grew to a 70, and then it grew to 120, and then to 500, right? We got the drill. But literally, we're here today. And so often when we think about impact and we think about making a difference in the world, we think, well, you got to be a megachurch, right? you got to be a megachurch pastor and have 5,000 people, right? And we think of the big things. And what, what, this, what he's trying to say through this book, and I think what Jesus modeled for us, is it's not about programs. It's not about how big the meeting is. It's not about how many thousand you can get to come to some outreach, right? It's about you're investing in a few who invest in a few others who invest in a few others. And we can eventually impact the whole world. Okay? Now, in this ministry, we, we use the term spiritual multiplication. Are we all familiar with that term? Do you use it much? Spiritual multiplication. Turn turn with me uh, to a text. Look at 2 Timothy with me. Let me see if you know this one. You perhaps do. 2 Tim two two. You familiar with this one? To strike a chord as soon as I say it? Yeah, some of you? 2 Tim. Now, in turning there, uh, who was Timothy? Who was Timothy to the Apostle Paul? What do you know? His disciple, his son in the faith, right? And where is Paul when he writes, when he writes this letter to Timothy? Where is he writing it from? Prison, right? He's about to be executed. He's finished his race. That's why he says in one of the other chapters, "I've finished the race. I fought the good fight," right? Paul is on his way home to heaven. He's about to be executed by the Roman government. And he's writing to Timothy, his son of the faith, and he's saying in both 1st and 2nd Timothy, Timothy, my beloved son of the faith, here's what you need to know as you continue to lead God's people. At the time that Paul wrote this letter, you know where Timothy was? He was in Ephesus. He was leading the movement of God's people in Ephesus, like the pastor, if you will. Don't even know if he had that term yet coined, but he was like the pastor of the flock, the leader of the spiritual movement in the city of Ephesus. And Paul is writing to Tim and saying, Timothy, here are things you need to know to keep building the flock of God's people for years to come. Make sense? So there's, that's when you read those two letters, bear that in mind. That's what Paul is saying to Tim. Now look at one of the things as it relates to our topic tonight that he says in verse 2. 2 Timothy verse 2. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, I want you to look at that verse and answer this question. How many generations of spiritual multiplication do we see in that verse? Look closely before you answer. How many generations of spiritual multiplication do we see in that verse? Who wants to take a stab? Bro? Four? Four? Why do you say four? Tell us. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Paul says, Tim, the things I taught you, you teach faithful men who will teach others also. Four generations. Now, if you want to say five because Jesus taught Paul, you can say that. But right, but four in this verse. Four generations of spiritual multiplication. Okay. You know, as a ministry, we are committed to that in crew because it's what Jesus did. It's what Paul did. We're committed to this thing called spiritual multiplication. And also because we're quite convinced that, that we can reach the world if we do spiritual multiplication. How many have ever seen uh, the comparison between spiritual multiplication and spiritual addition? Have you ever seen this? Okay. Let's do something like this. In the first year of your ministry, let's say you are a, uh, an evangelist like Billy Graham. You guys remember him? I mean, he was big before most of you were born. But Let's say if you if you were gifted to speak to multitudes of people and in one year you spoke to 5,000 people. Five, I mean, you spoke to all the 5,000 people came to Christ. Isn't that great, right? Second year, you do the same thing. Another 5,000. Got it? After 33 years, do the math. How many would that be? 5,000 times 33. What is it? <laughs> Say again? Do the, somebody do the math for me, yeah. Is that what that is? No, 34 years. I'm sorry. Yeah, 34 years. Pardon? 170,000? 170, 170,000. 170,000. So in 34 years, if you were a great preacher and you led all these people to Christ every year, you could lead 170,000 people to Christ in your lifetime. How great is that, right? I want you to watch this. That's spiritual addition. Spiritual multiplication, in the first year, if you took one other person, taught them, trained them, built into their life, at the end of the year, there were two of you, okay? Second year, each of you took one person, another person, get four, right? This is really brilliant, isn't it? Uh, you know, third year, you got eight, you got the drill. Take a guess here. What would you have after 34 years? And don't pull out some uh, instrument that you can do the math with. tell me, give me an idea. How many people would be impacted with the gospel in 34 years through spiritual multiplication? Take a wild guess. Come on, give me a number. Drew? A lot. Okay, a lot. That is technically not a number. (laughs) How many? Seventeen, how many? Billion. billion? Okay, that's a lot. Anybody want to say a couple million? A couple million? Okay, do you know what the real number is? Eight billion. And then it's 474 million, 300, it's a big number, look like at it. Eight billion people. Now, let me ask you, what does that number represent? <coughs> The whole world, the whole world, right? Through spiritual multiplication. That's incredible. Just by you building into one person, they build another. Now you say, well, why, how come it hasn't happened yet? Well, a couple of reasons. One, the chains break down, right? People stop multiplying. And two, we got parts of the world, the 1040 window, unreached peoples, where no one's gone. And so if everybody stays multiplying within the reached people groups, we'll never get to the unreached groups. So that's why. But do you see the power of multiplication to this? Okay. This is what captured me when I was here as a Penn State student. Most of us are probably not gonna be evangelists. Most of us may not pastor a church of 5,000, right? Most of us, like me, are ordinary people, right? But what hope this gives me as an ordinary person is I can have an impact around the world by just investing in a few people who invest in a few people who invest in a few people. Right? Incredible. Brandon, be my uh, be my Vanna White. Do me up there. What would you think? <laughs> you guys remember Vanna White, or is that totally another generation? Yeah, uh, remember. You remember that. her, okay? All right. Cool. All right. Now uh, I want you to turn to Luke six with me. I want to look look a little bit at Jesus' strategy. Thank you, bro. Jesus' strategy of discipleship, and I want to uh, I want to get into this question of who do we disciple. Who do we invest our life in? Look at Luke chapter 6. Pick it up in verse 12. How about somebody read that for me real loud? 12 and 13. Well, two, read that for us.
2: In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called to his disciples and chose from them twelve. He named apostles.
1: Okay, and then he goes on and he names all the boys here, right? All the dudes that were apostles—James, John, and all the guys, right? And then watch verse 17. And he descended with them and stood on a level place, and there was a great multitude of his disciples. Whoa! Wait a minute. He just tri- he just picked 12 disciples. What's this mean? There's a great multitude. Disciple in the New Testament means learner. Okay. He just picked 12. And yet it says he descended from this mountain and there's a whole bunch of other disciples. Now, what's the point? There was a whole throng of people following Jesus. Jesus had many, many, many people following him who wanted to learn from him. Now, some of them were following him just because they got the benefits. They experienced healing. They got bread, right? Fed to 5,000, right? Jesus only picked 12. Now, what does this tell us? The Son of God himself did not try to disciple everybody. He chose twelve. Even though there were many, many other people that wanted to learn from Jesus. Okay. Now, the rest, of the, the rest of the Gospels goes on and talks about what Jesus did with these twelve disciples. Everywhere He went, Jesus took these twelve guys with Him, right? They watched Jesus pray. They watched Him engage with people. I said this last night, engage with people who nobody else would talk to. Lepers, adulterous women, Samaritans, right? they were catching jesus heart the father's heart by being around him and so everywhere jesus went they were with him and they're watching him engage people who are outside the faith Um, they're watching him love people who were unlovable right and so this was discipleship but the point i'm trying to make here is jesus himself did not try to disciple everybody one of your dilemmas on campus is tell me if i'm wrong is you can't disciple every possible person that could be discipled, am I right? I don't know are some of you now helping lead Bible studies, and you may have six or eight people showing up, and you don't have time to invest one-on-one with every one of those six or eight people, is that? Is that something some of you experience? You know, if you're leading a freshman small group or even an upper-class group, and you have six, eight, ten people coming, and you cannot, as a full-time student, right, you can't spend one-on-one probably with eight or ten people. So it means you've got to make choices. Who am I gonna invest in? Now, so I wanna talk about that question, who do you spend your time discipling? And um, I wanna share with you something I've observed on campuses everywhere I go. I've spent time as a regional director and crew, traveled around campuses all over, in Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, and now I travel around the country, and here's something I've seen happen um, that affects whether or not ministries grow, okay? Here it is. I'll give you one live example. I disciple a, a man named Dave uh, when I was at Miami of Ohio. Okay? And Dave, his junior year, went out and raised up a group of freshmen from the, one of the freshmen dorm areas. He raised up a group of uh, six, eight guys that were coming to his Bible study. Came back sophomore year, uh, their sophomore year, his senior year, and he took three of those guys that he began to disciple, that he began to spend time with, all right? As he was going through the year, it became more and more evident to me and to Dave that these three guys were hanging with Dave because they liked Dave. Dave was fun. Dave played basketball with him. He was a cool guy. They liked to hang out with him, right? But they really didn't buy into where God was calling us to go as a movement. And they didn't really want to be biblical disciples. They want a fellowship. They want to come to a small group where I can feel good and you can give me some verses and make me feel good. But they really didn't want to engage in trying to reach the lost or to reproduce their life and try to invest in anybody else. So here's what happened. And I saw it coming, and I knew it was coming. It was his senior year. These were sophomores. And here's what happened. Dave graduated, and he was a great guy. Fabulous heart for the Lord. All three of these guys, not a one of them came back their junior year as a leader. Not a one of them came back to invest in anybody else. So we lost a whole chain of discipleship. With that, we lost the ability to shepherd and care for and love more people. We slit our throats, so to speak. Now, you hear what I'm saying by this? If this happens too many times across the board in a movement, what's gonna happen to your movement? It's gonna die, okay? Now, this is not profound. Let me put it to you this way. If you have 20 seniors in your movement, okay, and if they each invest in one person who comes back the next year, who can keep investing, what's happened to your movement? Stay the same, right? If they invest in two people who come back, who can shepherd and care for and love more people? Well, you got forty, and your movement grew. If they invest in three; you got sixty. You got the idea. But if twenty of them, if twenty of them invest, and only uh, ten people come back, your movement didn't grow; it decreased. Okay. So here's what I'm trying to get at: to see a movement grow anywhere. The student leaders of that movement have got to make wise choices of who they're gonna invest their time with. Or this happens. Movements slowly die. Okay? When I was at Miami of Ohio, we started out, uh, we, when I got there, there was about 200 students already involved. And by the time I graduated, we had 600, not when I graduated, the time, <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> Later we grew up to about 650 students in small groups, in discipleship groups. And one of the reason was, I kept stressing with every one of our student leaders, you've got to invest in people who really want to multiply and reproduce their life. Because if you do, we will grow, right? Now why, we, why do we care about growing? Is this a numbers thing? No, it's of, I care about the lost on campus, right? I want to see more lost people hear about Jesus. I want to see more Christians built into and be discipled and developed and cared for, right? When I was here, I'll give you this example. When I was here at Penn State back in 2002, I started a Greek ministry here. And the first year, I got into 12 of the fraternities. There's about, what, 45, I think, on campus. And I got into 12 of them. spoke at their chapter meetings and uh, did a little spiritual interest questionnaire, found some hungry hearts, and saw several guys come to Christ. But I came to the end of the year, and I had this realization is, oh my goodness, if I haven't passed on enough of what I know to a couple other students who can then turn around and do the same thing next year, I'll be in the exact same place I was at the beginning of the first year. And I'll only be able to get to a small number of the fraternities. I realized my ability to get into more houses, to talk to more lost men, was only if I reproduced myself so we could get into more houses and talk to more people. That making sense? And so I realized after my second year, and then after my third year, when I only really had one or two more guys who could do what I knew how to do, our ability to reach more men had not exponentially grown at all, okay? Same here. Your ability to reach out to more freshmen every year is dependent upon, do you reproduce yourself in someone who wants to also be involved in reaching the lost? Just make, am I getting, you get what I'm saying? here, Okay. And I literally saw in the 25 campuses that I oversaw in the Great Lakes region, the movements that were growing were the ones where the student leaders were investing in people who had really bought into what God had called us to do. And the movements that were maybe staying the same or going down were when we weren't reproducing into people that really had embraced what God had called us to do. OK. Now, um, I want to I want to um, share with you a way to communicate with someone who's a potential disciple so that you can discern um, whether that's someone you want to disciple. Now, you tell me, Vanna, would you again? Thank you, <laughs> Um answer this question, I want you to consider this. When you think about who's someone you'd want to disciple, what are some of the attributes you would look for to help you decide, should you should you start to spend more individual time with this person? Talk to me. What do you think?
2: They want to dive into the Word and they want to
1: share their faith. Okay. They have a hunger for the Word and they want to share their faith. Okay. Tell me more, bro. Explain why you why you say those two things? I wanna hear it from, I want to hear it from you. Yeah.
0: Just I think that
2: if I think those are key parts to growing not just a ministry, but if, if someone doesn't want to share their faith or isn't interested in reading the <coughs> word, then I don't know, I think that could cause into question how much the word has actually taken root in them and whether anything I, I can help disciple them through will actually stick or not.
1: Okay. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, let me put this up. Two things. So you're saying hunger, they're hungry for the word, right? Yeah. And you're saying they have a heart to reach the lost. Okay. Well, other things. Those are fabulous, but what else? Yes, like, Kelly. Whether they have time, like, oh. whether they make time for um, like the priorities or the Okay. So are they available? Uh, veil, can they spell? If not, <laughs> yeah. Are they willing to make time? Are they available, right? You know, you try to get together when they say, oh, no, I'm too busy this week, right? Just can't, can't meet, too busy, can't show up to Bible study. And by the way, this is rarely ever a legitimate excuse, isn't it? Right? It's just very seldom is that really the issue. It's usually, it's just not high enough for my, following Jesus is not high enough for my priority list, Right? Because I got time to play video games for hours, some guys, right? I got time just to hang out and do nothing and be on Facebook for hours. So to say I don't have an hour a week to spend being discipled, yeah. What else? Yes? So, um, out- oh? if they're willing to talk to about what they believe or Okay, yeah. So they have a heart for the lost translated into I'm willing to take steps of faith. Can we put it that way? Steps of faith, I'm willing to risk even rejection to offer the gospel. Yeah, okay, that's great. Other things? Yeah. Ah. people person. They're able to relate to people. Yeah, okay. Let's just put it this way. Uh, someone who has enough social skills, <coughs> okay, that they can relate to somebody, right? other words, somebody that actually can carry on a conversation, somebody that other people want to be around, right? They have enough social skills to actually connect and communicate. Yeah, good. How about teachability? Is this one? Teachable. Are they teachable? Tell me what was so funny. Something good? Did I miss it? Oh, Fat. Yes, what does this stand for again? Faithful, available, Yeah, I have a feeling you've heard this before, right? Yeah, we're looking for fat disciples, aren't we? We like fat disciples. Faithful, available, teachable. Okay, now you've heard that, so I don't want to belabor these things. But these are some of the things we're looking, we're looking for if somebody's going to invest. And you say, now wait a minute. Well, don't I want to invest in everybody? Don't I want to disciple everybody? Well, let me ask you a question. Can you disciple everybody? Can you disciple 10 people? No. So you gotta make choices, right? And you say, well, if I don't disciple everybody, am I not being loving? Is that, how do you answer that question? What if someone says, well, if you don't disciple everybody, you're not loving. How would you respond to that? Somebody accuses you, you won't disciple me, you're not loving. What do you say to that? Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful answer. Yeah. The most loving thing you can do is invest wisely in people who can reproduce their life because it gives you the ability to love more people. Okay? So choosing who you disciple is not unloving. It's the most loving thing you can do. Right? (coughs) Because if you invest in people who don't want to love and care for other people, then you cut off your ability to influence and love and care for more Penn State students. Just the bottom line. You limit your ability to love people based on how many you can personally be involved in. And Jesus himself knew he couldn't personally touch every person in Israel. Okay? That's why he sent the disciples out two by two. Remember? Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 9, he sent them out two by two. Then Luke chapter 10, he had 70. He sent them out two by two. Because they went to all these villages and places that he himself couldn't even go. All right, now let's do this. (laughs) Dana. Brandon, you're a great man. I like you, dude. You are just awesome. Hey, let me, do, uh, let me uh, draw something out for you of a way that you can uh, sit down with someone and kind of invite them into discipleship. Okay? So picture this with me, and I want to get real practical here. You've got some people in mind, maybe they're in your Bible study, that you think, I think this person has a heart. I think they're hungry. I think they're teachable. By the way, the most miserable experience in the world is trying to disciple someone who's not teachable. You ever tried to do that? Someone who thinks, I was a part of a youth group. I went to church. I know all the doctrine. I got it all down. That's not a fun thing, right? So there's got to be a hunger and a teachability in the soul of another person to say, I don't know it all. I don't care how great the youth group was I was in. I still have so much to learn. Here's one way, and that's not the only way, but I want to suggest a way to do it. In fact, you can create your own terminology. Um, But one of the things we need to do when we're going to begin to disciple someone is we need to give them a picture of where it is that I would love to take you if you want to go there. You follow me? Because where you're going to take someone determines what you do. And so to find out, is this person that I could disciple, do they even want to go there? Here's a simple thing I do. When I sit down with a person, and I did it all the time as I was here at Penn State, when I'm sitting down with a person that's in my Bible study, when I started the fraternity Bible study, it eventually grew to having uh, anywhere eight to 10 to 12 guys showing up, right? And I was trying to observe which of these guys is really hungry, which of these fraternity guys, who's really teachable, who really cares about reaching other guys in their house. And who's just here because they like to hang out with other guys? You know what I mean? I'm trying to find that out. And so here's a way to do it I would sit down with guys and say, hey, let's talk about uh, where we're trying to go, where Crew's trying to go, where we think the Bible's trying to take us, and where I want to go. And I'd do this. And this is on your outline. By the way, in you your outline now, this is on your main outline under uh, what's under? What do I call it, bro? Ah, defining a biblical disciple. You with me there? For those who are taking notes, and I hope you are. Defining a biblical disciple. Simple thing. Ready? I would sit down with, the, let's say we'll, say, we'll call him Joe. No, we'll, we'll give him a new, let's call him uh, Hezekiah. I got Hezekiah coming to my Bible study. Or I met Hezekiah uh, at the weekly meeting. Maybe Hezekiah is a transfer student from another campus. And he's just now getting involved with crew, and he's trying to understand what the heck is crew all about. Okay, and and doing something like this, we want people to know that crew is not just uh, a weekly meeting, right? And this is what crew is all about. So I would say to Hezekiah, Hezekiah, what I'm doing here in campus is I want to help men to learn to walk by faith, and I would describe that a little bit. So what kind of things would I say under walk by faith? Spit them out. What do we want to help people do when it comes to walk by faith? Prayer life, read the Bible, read a, read a Bible get in the Word, out of a quiet time, study the Bible, right? What else? What do we want to help somebody learn in this category? How about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? How to walk in the Spirit. How about sexual purity, dealing with temptation? How about the value of fellowship, the importance of being a part of a church, fellowship, worship, okay? bunch of things, right? You get the idea? Then I'd say Joe, uh, Hezekiah, we get got Hezekiah, not Joe. Hezekiah, I want to also help you learn to communicate, communicate your faith, right? Meaning what? Meaning Hezekiah, I want to help you learn how can you share your story with a non-Christian that lives in your dorm or in your fraternity, okay? How do you share, the, how do you share your story with him in a way he can understand? How can you explain the gospel, Hezekiah? How can you answer tough, apologetic questions? What do you say if he asks you, how do we know the Bible's true, right? You got the idea? How do I get a conversation going into the gospel? Okay. So Hezekiah, I'd love to help you learn this. But then thirdly, Hezekiah, I also want to help you learn how to multiply your faith. Okay. Multiply your faith. Meaning, Hezekiah, if you lead somebody to Christ in your fraternity, I'd love to help you learn what do you talk about to follow up a new believer and get him grounded in the faith. Okay. Uh, How do you get a Bible study going? How do you begin to disciple somebody? Got it? Now, my point is, there's a whole lot of things under these categories, right? I, this is my little grid. Because if you say, what is it to be a biblical disciple? And I'd say, let's all describe a biblical disciple. And we'd throw out 40 different things, right? And it's overwhelming. So I use these categories because it, it just simplifies it. I want to help Hezekiah learn to walk, communicate, and multiply faith. right? And then I would often draw this out. I'd draw my little diagram out and say, Hezekiah, here's me. Here's Hirsch, me, good looking. Give me a massive upper body, huge bicep. Anyway, anyway, maybe not. I guess I should have some legs too and feet, but anyway. Okay, forget that. Okay. There I am. Um, but this, I would often just draw this out. I'd say, here's me, Hirsch. And I'd say to Hezekiah, and over here is Samson. He's got a problem with women, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, he, he has a problem with discipleship because he's always with his, his lady friends. Anyway. Uh, but I'd say, as a guy, you know what? I'd love to build into your life to help you learn to walk, communicate, and multiply so that someday you can do the same. And I draw this picture out. I draw these diagrams all the time. Right? Because I want people to know <coughs> Crew is not just about a nice weekly meeting. It's not just about a great fall retreat. We have those. It's not just about having men's times and women's times and all the rest. It's about this. This is what we're about. Okay? So I draw this out. And i say, Hezekiah, this is what we're doing. And then here's the other thing I draw out. is my 4 and 40. 4 and 50, excuse me. Okay? Anybody know what that is? Want to take a stab? 4 and 50. What is that? While you're here at Penn State for maybe 5 years, maybe 6, whatever. If you're involved in crew, we want to help you prepare for the next 50 years of your life. So whether you're an architect, an engineer, teacher, nurse, missionary, pastor, crew worker, we want to help you be prepared for the next 50 years of your life to learn to walk, communicate, and multiply. So when you're in the, working for the Department of Defense someday and you're having conversations with people, you know how to get into a spiritual conversation with somebody and share the gospel, with right? Did I say no-no there? No, I didn't say no, no. I did I did, did I? Maybe did. Wherever you're working someday, as an engineer, or wherever you're working, you can walk, communicate, and multiply your faith. Sorry, bro. <laughs> all right? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing we need to know. Okay? When students invest in school, they spend all kinds of time and money for their major, right? To prepare to know how to make a living. What are we doing in crew? We're saying, look, you're going to spend all kinds of time and money just to know how to make a living, just how to make bucks. We're inviting you to join us in this movement to prepare to be a biblical disciple the rest of your life. Okay. Now, my next question to Hezekiah is this. So, Hezi, tell me, where do you think you are right now in this grid of becoming a biblical disciple? Where do you think you are? Okay. And then what do you think is my next question to Hezekiah? What would your next question be? So Hezekiah says, oh, I think I'm really growing in this area. Okay, and it's all good, but I don't know anything about this. What's my next question? What do you want? Hezekiah, these things, what do you want? Because what I want to know is if Hezekiah says, oh, man, I want to learn this kind of stuff. I don't know anything about it now, but I want to learn it. The Pesach guy says, You know, I like coming to Bible study. That feels great. But I'm not sure I want the rest of this stuff. Got it? That making sense? Let's give me an idea. And Hesie says, I uh, I don't want this part. I just want this. Okay? Okay. Questions on all this? Comments? Thoughts? Vanna? Comments? Does this seem harsh? Does this seem too direct? What do you think? Nobody's okay with it. You like it. Okay, (laughs) I don't care if you use totally different terms, right? But here's the point. When you sit down with a person who's a potential disciple, to paint a vision for them of here's where we're going really helps because then they can decide, do I want to go there, right? You're kind of like saying the crew bus is going here. If you want to get on the bus, go with us, great. If you don't, if you want to be on the navigator bus because they have a different emphasis, do that. If you want to be a part of a different ministry, do that, and that's good. We're not the only body of Christ on campus, right? We're one part of the whole body. We don't expect everybody to get on the crew bus. God may have a calling for people to get on another bus. But this is where this bus is going, okay? So we're just wanting to invite people to get on a bus if they want to. And then we can begin to disciple them, all right? Now, let me transition to this. If this is where I'm trying to take somebody it determines what the heck I do to get there, right? Okay, so let's talk about three key components of what you do in discipleship. Three key components, all right? So let me put it this way. If my only goal in discipleship is to help someone to learn to walk with Jesus, what do you think I'd do in all my discipleship appointments? What would you do? If your only goal was to help them to walk by faith. What would you do? Come on, talk to me. Yeah. be very centered on their their own struggles. Yeah. Yeah, it would be all about them, right? Now, this is important because we start there with everybody, right? But it may be, I'd study the Bible, uh, we'd read a good book together, we'd talk about how you're feeling today, it would all be centered on them, right? But if my goal is walk, communicate, and multiply, it demands I'm doing other things with my disciples. Here's the top three. Number one, build a relationship. Relationship. Okay, now this is obvious, right? First thing I start with, I build a relationship. Because why? Because people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Got that? So we're involved, when we're discipling someone, we're involved in their life because we care about every aspect of their life, right? And so that means we're spending time diving into what's going on in their life, what they experienced growing up as a kid. This is where we ask all kinds of questions to get to know them as a person, right? Obviously, because we care. This is where we do things. Now, i got a boatload of things under this, but I'm not going to share them all. But things like, for me, what really helped me in this area of discipleship was, one, learning how to listen. give you a couple. Learning how to listen. Sometimes we don't listen well. We just do all the talking. And discipleship is not showing up doing all the talking. A lot of it is doing all the listening. To draw the person out. Learning how to ask questions to find out where they are, what's going on in their life. Secondly, it means learning how to encourage. Learn how to speak into somebody's life. Words of affirmation about the strengths you see in their life that God is building. You. Learn how to encourage, loving, and a third thing: learning to loving enough to confront. Right, love this person enough to shoot straight with them about something in their life uh, that's really keeping them from walking with Jesus. So, learn how to listen, learn how to encourage, learn loving enough to confront. These are a couple things. Now, one other thought on this is spending informal relational time with people. Okay. A lot of times, your disciples are going to learn far more by just when you hang out together than by what you do in your one-on-one appointment each week. You know, going out for dinner together. Go to church together. Uh, You know, guys, uh, taking your disciples shopping. Things like that. Ladies, going to the weight room and working out with the ladies. Things like that. Right. You know, whatever it takes. Right? Whatever it takes to spend relational time. Am I right? Here's the thing, discipleship, you've heard this expression, discipleship is often caught more than taught, right? You you catch things by being around the person that discipleship. So when you go out and hang out over dinner together, you watch a ball game together, go play basketball together, whatever you do, go shopping together, hang out, whatever. That's where the relationship grows and develops. I think you know that because you guys are all highly relational people. Second thing, get people into the scriptures. Kyle, you brought this up. Get him into the Word, right? Okay? Take him to the Scripture. Uh, We do that when we meet with him one-on-one. We do it by bringing him to fall retreat. We do it by inviting him to come to the weekly meeting with us. Inviting him to come to church with us. Go to winter conference with us. All kinds of ways we help people get into the Scriptures. You know, when Larry first discipled me my freshman year, uh, though I had a church background, I think I had opened up the Bible twice in my whole life. Read it for a total of 10 minutes each time, maybe. at the most. I had no idea what a quiet time was. I had no idea how to study the Bible. One of the best things Larry did for me, second semester of freshman year, was he began to uh, just breathe on me this passion for God's Word. He helped me start to read the Scriptures. Helped me understand what the heck a quiet time was. I had no idea. Right? He got me into the Word. Helped me fall in love with the Word. Begin to. So one of the best things you're going to do with a young disciple is start to just open up the scriptures with them. Okay? Here's the third thing. Ministry together. Ministry together. Okay? Ministry together. Okay, someone tell me, a couple of you tell me, what... What did you experience the first time you, with your disciple, went out and engaged in a spiritual conversation with somebody who was not a believer? I may have been here on campus, maybe he was at spring break, maybe he was on a summer mission, I don't know. (coughs) What happened in your life? Do you remember? (coughs) Anybody? Can you remember? First time, maybe the first time you, or second time or third time. What happens in your life when you're doing ministry with your disciple? Yeah, Brandon. Or Drew. Uh, Brandon. yes, Drew. Um, Sorry. Brandon disciples Drew. Brandon's disciple by Kyle. Disciple by Tom. Okay, good. (laughs) I got it. And you're disciple somebody else, are you? No, not yet. Not yet. yet. Okay, soon. Okay, good. (laughs) <laughs>
2: Beforehand, it was a lot of like nervousness, uh, a little bit of fear, uh, but then during it, it was just joy. And it's one of my favorite parts now.
1: Tell me what, talk to me more. Why is it one of your favorite things?
2: Um, I just love just having that opportunity to share God's word with other people um, and just see them take those steps. Jesus.
1: Beautiful. Okay. Awesome. Anybody else? Yes. And first name again is? Shandell. Shandell. Okay.
2: So I have a Kelly, and we went sharing together for the first time to get today. So it's funny you asked, but um, I think the best thing about it is just being able to, like, like when you're trying to explain something, you're just like, yeah, it's not coming out the way I think it should be, and you just, like, look at the other person, and you're like, go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. And
2: they, like, finish your sentence, kind of, and they, they like, phrase it in a way that you were just, like, you couldn't, like, get it to come out that way. Yeah. For that person, I don't know. I <laughs> thought it went. Mm-hmm. It makes us want
1: to go more, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Makes you want to go more. Yeah. yeah. Anybody, anybody else have an experience? or Yeah. Morgan. The
2: reality of the hearts of students on campus.
1: Keep going. Keep talking.
2: I just remember the first couple times that I went sharing as a student, they weren't necessarily
1: successful. Okay. Um, successful is defined by they didn't respond. They didn't respond. They weren't. There's a lot of apathy towards what we were talking about, yeah, Um, or even just their own life. Okay, Um, and I
2: just remember being encouraged by my disciple that it's a good thing to see that sometimes and to experience that because you're not always going to go out and have the perfect times of uh, sharing, yeah, and you're always going to have that experience and knowing how to respond to. How God calls you to respond, to something like that, uh, and experiencing that is just very important. It kind of built my heart even more to be like, yeah, I want to uh, more. I
1: want to talk to more people. Okay, yeah. So in that case, it gave you increased heart for the lost because you see how much, how far people are. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It was an educational experience. I remember I was uh, twenty-one and I realized I had no way. myself now,
1: little, uh, okay. I can't tell myself. Yeah. So would you say? It was educational, bro? Yeah. Do you want to tell us more? Was it good then, in other yeah. words? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I went with uh, James
0: and weirdly, like, inexplicably enjoyed it.
1: Um, yeah. Well, I wanted
0: to keep doing it because I didn't think I would, and I was like, oh, I don't really like
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tell me this. What do you think happens to your view of God when you're out in ministry together? With your disciple adam um kind
0: of it's the last one but i guess okay oh, go go keep going get into yeah good um sharing with when i first went sharing with my disciple, um uh, the great commission became real the scripture became real uh, and as a result god's heart for people became real mm. uh, it was something i you know, kind of heard about in church my entire life yeah but with with without anyone uh, kind of taking that step of intentionality with me uh, to to actually go do, do that and to share with other people, it was just words on a page.
1: Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Say that last thing you just said again. That was beautiful. Say it again.
0: Uh, without someone taking that step of intentionality, uh, the Bible, scripture, was just words on the page and it didn't mean anything.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. So well said. You know what, gang? When we're involved in ministry together, I am convinced that's where our faith perhaps grows the most. Because God shows up, right? We have a conversation with somebody and the Lord shows up. Maybe you find yourself saying things, you said, where the heck did that come from? I don't even know, I knew that. And the Holy Spirit brings something to mind, right? And you learn. And maybe sometimes you find somebody's totally not interested and it breaks your heart for how, how much people are missing the Lord. Other times you find that someone is so wide open, and you say, oh my gosh, people are hungry, right? Because the truth is, here on Penn State's campus, let's be real, there's a whole lot of kids don't want to hear about Jesus right now. That's fact, right? So we can expect as we initiate conversations, some of them are not ready to hear, and that's okay. But then there's those that are. And so we're not going to not initiate because there's some that don't want to hear. If two out of 10 want to hear love and compassion demands, I'm going to find those too. Right? Not let the eight that don't have an interest keep me from sharing my faith. Okay? So here's the deal. I have found in my discipleship, when I am in a healthy way involving my disciples in ministry. Okay? Now there's many different ways you can do it. Okay? When I'm involving them in ministry with me, the growth is exponentially greater. Because they're getting the word of God in, and they're giving the word of God out. Right? You ever, passed, you ever driven by one of those stale ponds, that one of those ponds, farm ponds that's just covered with yuck algae, right? Because it's got maybe no inflow, or maybe some inflow, but no outflow. There's no movement of the water current, and it's just, ugh, right? That's the way we become as Christians, right? And even if we have inflow, if we don't have outflow, if we're not giving it away, we become kind of like that stale, stinky, smelly, stagnant pond. Well, like one person said, you know, Christians are like manure. When you pile them up, they stink. When you spread the manure out, it causes things to grow. I mean, I could have used other terminology, but you get the idea, right? When Christians just pile up with each other all the time, they just kind of smell like a pile of manure. But when you spread them out, they make people make things grow, because we were meant to be out among the people that don't know Jesus. Okay? Now, let's do this real quick, and then I'm going to have one last little segment briefly. I want you to do something with me. On a scale of one to five, I want you to evaluate yourself as a disciple, or Even if you haven't discipled yet, you evaluate, how do I think I would do as a discipler in this? And I want you to give yourself a rating of one to five. Five being, this will be my greatest strength. I will be very good at this. One is, this is my area of greatest need to grow in. I'm not so strong at this. Everybody on your paper, I'm going to call on you randomly. Give yourself a rating of one to five in these three. So one to five under their relationship, word, and ministry. Okay? And this is just honestly evaluating yourself, how you think you would do. Everybody do that. Give yourself a, a number one to five. And then I'm going to call on you. All right. A couple of you give me a, uh bro, let's go with you first. Give me a number, one to five. Brandon, four. four. And by the way, don't be all humble here now. Say what you really think. Four. Go ahead. Oh. The other ones. Okay. Word. Uh, three. Three. Ministry together. Uh, four. four. Okay. <laughs> <Go>. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh! your disciples challenging you on that one. Oh. Okay. Ladies, how about a lady? One of you ladies. Can I get you in the back? I don't know your name yet. Yes. Paige. Paige. What would you say, Paige? Um, I said 432. Okay. 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 Go. Uh, okay. 453. Okay. Ladies, one of you ladies, who can I call on that I haven't heard from? Is it Courtney? It is Courtney. Say 5 53 five, what? 532. Okay. All right. How about one more? How about Adam? Give me yours. Uh, All right. Uh, You notice any pattern here? What's the pattern? Which is the hardest of these three things? And always going to be most challenging. Ministry together, right? And which tends to be often the easiest? Relationship, right? Yeah, we're pretty good at this one. We're relational people, right? And this is always going to be the hardest, isn't it? Now, why is this always the hardest? Talk to me. Why is this the hardest? For you as a discipler to involve your disciple with you in ministry, why is that the most difficult? Yeah, bro? Yeah, get, getting them a line to and buy into. You're just to not to just to yeah. They may not have the motivation yet, but want to, which puts the onus on you as a disciple to help them From here, perhaps, right, to develop the want to, right, to help them buy in. Yeah, beautiful insight. What else? Why else is it hard? So, my
2: disciples
1: have had like
2: an emotional day. Uh huh. And it's just hard to be a girl on that day. Okay. You don't want to go out sharing. Okay. uh,
1: Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. If you're having a lousy day, for different reasons, could be all kinds of different reasons, you feel crappy, the last thing you want to do is get beyond your own emotions and and out into the life of somebody else, because all you want to do is cuddle in here and please help me feel better. Which is sometimes very appropriate, the thing we need to do, right? But oftentimes, we need to get beyond how we feel. Bro, Yeah. Um, but we don't remember the last part. We don't remember the first part. <laughs> okay. And so there's still like a barrier to entry, even though yeah. I've experienced how many times again that it me so much joy. Mm. I still experience a barrier to entry. Yeah. Boy, that's a great insight, isn't it? The inertia, the initial inertia is always hard. But once you're into it, it's like, whoa, right? But yeah, it is. Yeah, bro. Kind of going off that it's the least comfortable of the three. Uh huh least comfortable with the three, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I would say this, one thing that will help you over time, which I can't do in this particular setting, but that's what you have to do as student leaders is think through how can we get into good gospel conversations with people that are going to be more enjoyable for our disciples? Because we know just doing the the initiative thing in in the hub with random strangers is the most difficult, is it not? It's the most difficult way of outreach. But if we can get lunch appointments set up with people that we know in our sphere of influence and have one of our disciples join us, right? You make an appointment with someone in your dorm or someone in your class, somebody you want to reach out to. It makes it much more enjoyable. When I was doing fraternity ministry here at Penn State, uh, I was constantly working to get lunch appointments set up with dudes uh, that I met through different means so that I could then invite a disciple to come with me, and their first experience of sharing their faith was in a positive, enjoyable conversation with someone who I already knew had some spiritual interest. Follow me? But that put the onus on me to have to generate those opportunities, and that's more, more challenging, isn't it? Okay. Okay. Here's the deal. Here's my observation. Everywhere I go across the country, both in crew and at Navigators, universities, they all deal with this. In the church, discipleship often stops right here. We do the first two. We are great at hanging out in Starbucks and talking about life, talking about a boyfriend, girlfriend, talking about whatever, right? And those are important things. We need to do that. But we often don't get to here. Okay, And yet, this is where some of the greatest fire and passion is cultivated in a heart because when you follow Jesus, you're on mission, right? When you, you know, when somebody says, well, isn't the Christian life all about walking with Jesus? And I'd say, yes. And where's Jesus walking? Where is he walking to? He wants to walk to every part of this campus to reveal himself to everybody on this campus. So if I'm going to walk with Jesus, it means what? It means I'm walking with him into the mission. I'm going with Jesus where he's going. And he is going to lost people. If anything comes out of the Gospels that made Jesus different than all the Pharisaical Jewish leaders, wasn't that the thing that made him different? He was the one, unlike all the other rabbis, who was out engaging with lost, hurting people. He was not hovering together with all the other Pharisees arguing about the law and interpretations of the law. He was out where the lost were. So when he called the disciples to come be fishermen, it meant, follow me, we're gonna hang out at Starbucks all the time and just talk. No. We're gonna go out and talk to lost people. So here's, it's challenging. I will, you know, grant that. But boy, this is where the excitement is. I know that's what Larry and Dave did for me. When I was a freshman, Larry uh, was the one who got me into the word, okay? And then I'll never forget the first time he took me sharing. I lived in Lead Hall, North Quad, and Larry said, here's what we're gonna to do today. I'd love for you and I to go out and talk to people. I said, what? We're going to do what? (laughs) We're going to go out and talk to people. Are you kidding? People like we don't know? Yeah. Now, here's the deal. I was growing, right? Jesus was changing my life. There was a joy in my heart. I was excited about Jesus, right? So he wasn't like he was talking to a disciple who was like kind of dead spiritually. I was alive. I was growing. So he was at the appropriate time saying, now, Hirsch, here's the next step I want to take with you to help you grow. So we went here to the Hub, we engaged a couple people in conversations. I don't think anybody received Christ, but I came away from that kind of bouncing up the sidewalk to North Halls, like, wow, we just talked to people about Jesus. And they were like willing to talk and they actually listened. We actually had a conversation and nobody threw anything at us. Nobody got up on the table and said, you weird Jesus freak, get out of here. Nobody did that. We actually had a good conversation. Larry, my freshman year, was the discipler that first helped me take a step of faith out of my comfort zone, and I've never been the same since, because what Larry did. Now, he could have huddled with me all semester long. We were in Bible study together. We were meeting one-on-one. He was getting me the word. He could have never done that. We could have done all the other stuff here, but it's him helping me break that faith barrier that set my life on a whole different trajectory. And then when I got to Dave, my disciple, my junior year, Larry kept doing that with me when I was a sophomore living in the fraternity. We kept initiating conversations. And then Dave was the one who said, Hirsch, let's you and me and these other three fraternity guys figure out how to go after the Greeks. There's 45 fraternities on this campus. Dave's the one who said, let's go meet fraternity presidents. Let's set opportunities to speak in houses. Let's start having spiritual conversations. And man, that just ignited my soul because we started seeing guys come to Christ. Okay. Have I made this point pretty clear? Mm-hmm. All right, but it's intimidating, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I get that this is hard. It is. Right? But boy, that's where the rubber meets the road. Okay? Alright, can I do one last thing with you? Are we good? We're gonna end by six. Is that cool? Bro <laughs> he's gone from vanna to bro. <laughs> Brandon bro. Are you still okay? We wide awake? Is everybody good? You're not not about to fall asleep? Because we're going to, we could take a break, but we're going to end in a few minutes. Is that cool? Um, Now, let me ask you this. From what we've said so far, do you have an idea, do you have a little bit of an idea what kind of person you want to look for to begin to disciple from what we talked about? Do you have an idea of how you might sit down with a potential disciple and kind of challenge him and give him a vision for discipleship? Do you see how you could do that? Again, you could use different words. I don't care. But to get the idea, sit down with somebody, give them a vision where we're going to go and see if they want to go there. Right. So let's say a person says, yeah, man, I want to be a part of this discipleship thing and you lay out for them. Great. Here's what I'd love to do. We're going to meet together once a week. Pick a time. We're going to meet, get together once a week, at least once a week, you and me. And then hopefully we'll hang out informally, too. Right. But then here's the question. So what do you do when you show up with that person? And they're sitting across the table from you in the hub. And they're just staring at you. Any of you? Any of you feel hesitant to do discipleship because you think I won't know what the heck to talk about? Anybody have that fear? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 Josh says, Yeah, I do. Now here's the deal. Some of us, when it comes to discipleship, we're good at being planners, and we want to plan to know what we're going to do. Some of us are good at being wingers. We just show up and we wing it, right? Now here's the deal. Some of you are planner. How many are the planner types? You want to know what you're going to do, okay? How many are wingers? Okay, you show up and you wing it. All right, cool. Well, a combination of both is a good thing. The problem with being just a winger is if you show up and the dude your disciple has nothing to talk about, then you're sitting there like, because if he's got all kinds of questions, then you can wing away, right? But if he doesn't, you're sitting there staring at each other. So it is helpful to be a planner and a winger, right? Because you want to wing it if you show up and the dude you're meeting with needs to talk about something that's heavy in his heart. You maybe need to scrap the plan you had and go with what they want to talk about, right? Okay. So planner, winger, both. I want to suggest to you, now we're on this sheet right here, what to cover on discipleship appointments. I want to offer you my best thoughts on Three things, three ways to think about what do I talk about with a person that I'm starting to disciple, okay? Number one, cover content that everyone needs. That's the key word there, everyone, right? Everyone needs. What would some of those things be? What's something that every one of the people you disciple needs? that you want to help beside Jesus, yes. We'll start with that. But in terms of growing, what does every, every, everybody need that you want to cover with them at some point? Life. Their spirit-filled life. How to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? What else? Their, in Their identity, position in Christ, who they are in Christ, yes. Other things. What does everyone need? Church, part of a body of believers, learn how to be commit to being a part of a body, yep. fellowship. How about quiet time? Right. Probably these days, everyone needs right away to talk about sexual purity. that's probably pretty much these days early on for everybody. How do I go after the impurity, the whole uh, lust and stuff in my life, men and women? Right. Got it. There's certain things that everyone needs. Everybody needs. Okay. Don't assume, please, please, please don't assume this guy says, I've been to church all my life. I know all this stuff. I can guarantee you, I don't care how many years I've been to church. Most people don't understand the spiritual life. Most people don't understand their identity in Christ. Most of them are struggling with lust and pornography and sexual temptation. Right? I don't care how big their great their background is. I never assume someone understands something. Just assurance of salvation, how to confess sin, is something everybody needs. Okay? Now this is where you, you you can do this lots of ways. You may know all that stuff cold. You can do it cold. Like if I were to say to you, if I were to say to you right now. Sis, first name? Christina. Christina. If I were to say to you, Christina, without any tools, could you turn to the Bible and teach the spirit filled life to somebody? Could you do that? Would you struggle a little bit? Okay. <laughs> sure. Right. That's why tools like the compass were written. Okay? That's not the only tool. But that's why the compass was produced to give you resources of the topics that everybody needs that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. 'Cause I was part of putting that thing together years ago, along with Tim Henderson and a couple of Rick James. But you know it's you know how it's laid out under the rubric of walk by faith, communicate your faith, multiply your faith. Where do you think that came from? <laughs> yeah, right here. <laughs> when it was designed, we designed it. What does somebody need to know about their walk, communicate, and multiply? So the whole point of that is you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, you don't have to labor for hours. Where would I go to find what I need to know about the spiritual life? I can look up a lesson, I can take the lesson. And then I could add all my own stuff to it. My own questions. Bring out the scriptures. Got it? But you may have another way. I don't care. But we want to make sure everybody gets those foundational things. Second thing. Focus on their specific needs and goals. Now this is where being a good listener as a disciple comes into play. I'm drawing my disciple out on, on bro, what, what do you think you need in your life right what are the areas of growth that are most important to you? What do you? This may be where you discuss what do you think your strengths are. What are the areas of growth? Okay, so one guy may say, "Yeah, I'm just really weak in knowing the word." So he says, "Okay, well we're going to focus on getting you into the Scripture this semester." One of these guys that I pointed to last night, um, this guy Danny. Where are you, Danny? Hmm. This guy here, the guy that I pointed out is the orthopedic surgeon. Remember him? Okay, can't find him, but when I met with Danny, this guy is the orthopedic surgeon in Kenya. Here he is. When I first started to meet with him to disciple him, and we, we were talking through his needs and goals, and I was drawing him out of background about his past and all that, he said, I, my whole Christian life, i would lived in shame and guilt. I grew up in a very legalistic church background. Um, my parents shamed me all the time, every time I failed. And he said, I don't understand grace. I feel a lot of shame, a lot of guilt for all my shortcomings. So what do you think I focused on for the whole next semester? Grace. Almost every appointment we talked about grace. I took him to different scriptures. I had him read chapters of a book. And we focused at that time in his life on what it meant to understand grace, okay, which is a long process. At the same time, we were going over to the freshman dorm and sharing our faith. And he was learning how to share the gospel while I was helping them understand grace. Make sense? You know, if the dude your disciple says, I am really struggling with lust, pornography, well, you know, yeah, I probably need to focus on that. Because that's a major issue that's holding them back. Okay, if a woman you're meeting with is struggling massively with body image, maybe eating disorders, okay? You got the idea? Okay, Third thing is, Pass on your and it's on the outline your convictions, convictions, passions, knowledge, ministry skills. And here's the idea: every one of you, the Lord has already built stuff into your life, right? You've got you know what I mean by convictions, right? When I say convictions, not just opinions, not just beliefs, but Solid convictions God's built into your life, like the importance of the word. You brought that up, didn't you, bro? Okay. The importance of getting a scripture in your life. That's probably a conviction for you, isn't that? Yeah. So I'm talking about what's the, what are those things that he's built into your life that you're saying, this is the stuff I really want to pass on to the guy I'm discipling. Okay? Because here's the reality. The stuff you're going to probably pass on the very best to your disciple is the stuff that God has already built into your life. Okay, so here's the deal. Sometimes we worry about, well, what if my disciple asked me a question about this and I have no idea what it's about? Okay, what do you do with that? Here's a profound thing. You say to the person, that's a great question, Drew. I don't know. I don't have any idea. But I'll go find some answers. Let's get back next week. Or, right? Don't worry about what you don't know. Take what you do know and pass that on. That's what discipleship is. I like to put it this way. You know, discipleship is like passing on your disease. Right? Okay, uh, like if I've got a bad flu, I mean, I'm really sick with a flu, and I want Kyle to catch it, what do I need to do? Just hang out with him and breathe all over him, right? I just breathe all over him. I say, bro, come on, let's spend time together. And I breathe out my germs of flu, flu germs all over him, and then he catches it. You Get the idea? So, you know what discipleship is? It's spending time with your disciple and just breathing all over them the germs of conviction that God has infected your life with. Okay? So they catch it. That's why discipleship is caught more than taught. You catch what a person around you has already been captured by. Okay? So I'm betting, Rachel, I'm betting if gals hang around you, tell me if I'm wrong, I'm betting they catch some germs of conviction about the world. Is that possible? And a heart for the lost and going to the world. Is that one of your deepest passions? <laughs> that is my What did you say? She so said that is my disease. That is your disease. Yeah. So whoever gets discipled by Rachel is probably going to catch some germs about reaching the world for Christ. Make sense? Yeah. Now here's the deal. These are just this is just a grid of things to think about with a disciple. So you got disciple Sally. Okay? And you're meeting with Sally, and you're drawing her out, you're getting to know her, and you're finding out, what does she understand about some basic, does she understand the spiritual life? Does she know what it means to have a quiet time? Does she understand how to confess her sins? And you're asking her questions about her childhood, and you found out that her father was, uh, mother was very controlling, high performance, she grew up, you know, constantly feeling she had to perform to get her mom and dad's approval. Well, that gives you the insight. She may need to learn about grace and her identity in Christ, Right? Gotcha? And on top of that you say, you know what, one of my deepest convictions is, man, I have such a conviction about uh, the spiritual life. I want to make sure Sally knows that. You got it? So you're drawing from your toolbox here based on getting to know that person. What do they need? Okay. Now, here's why it's all three. Say, uh, say your deepest conviction is apologetics. You just love reading books on philosophy and science and all the intellectual evidence for the faith, right? And you could talk about that all day long. But Sally, that's not what Sally needs, maybe. Maybe Sally is struggling with an eating disorder. So I can't just go breathe on her everything I know about apologetics, because what she needs is to learn about her identity in Christ, perhaps. You got me? So that's why it's a balance of all three things. So here's how we're gonna end. I want you to do something in the next three minutes. Take your pad of paper right there if you got one. I want you to each to think of what are, what are three convictions that God has built into your life, okay? What are three? Just, th- just think of three. You'd say off the top of my head, these are three of my convictions that I have to pass on to somebody else. Okay, everybody think about it because I'm gonna call on you. Three things you wanna pass on. Should never say it. Three things. If you come up with five, great. Just brainstorm. You don't have to have these all thoroughly developed and thought through. Three to five things you'd say, yeah, these are my convictions. These are things I could pass on right now because of what God's done in my life. Everybody about done? Got three? And I want to suggest to you as you do this, sometimes if you want to do this more, just let yourself brainstorm. You'll probably come up with 20 things. okay? Easily, 20 things that the Lord has built into your life that you could pass on. Which means you've got a whole semester's worth of discipleship. You pass on those 20 things to last you a whole semester. I mean, you don't probably even want to try to do that many things. Too many. Pick three or four, but you got it? It's kind of like the idea I'm getting at here is when you first start to disciple, you've got a little toolbox. right? toolbox is this big. Okay? I got a hammer in there and maybe a screwdriver, that's it. Okay? As you grow as a disciple, you add to your toolbox saw, chisel, axe. I don't know what you gotta use the axe for with your disciple, cut his head off, but you get the idea? Now, so after forty-six years of discipling, I got a pretty big toolbox, right? I got a lot of tools in there that God's taught me. But I I only had a couple tools when I first started out. You're gonna take the couple tools you have and start to build into somebody's life and God will increase your toolbox over time. Don't worry about what you don't have. Pass on what you do. A couple of you. Brandon, you give me yours first, bro. Uh, Your top three.
0: Working for God's glory and not my own. Ooh, good a one. Yep. Trusting um, God in my life's plan. Um, mm. And then being content where I'm at in my life.
1: Okay. Being content where I am. Beautiful things. What else? Now, these can be perspectives. What Brandon gave was a list of perspectives, biblical perspectives. They could be ministry skills. They could be character traits. Lots of things, but those are excellent biblical perspective. Other ones? Three you got. Who didn't I call on yet? Your name is? Yes. Suzanne. Suzanne. Tell us your three. Um, all right, so I have scientific proof of creation, Ooh. Um, giving control to God, and then identity and God not work. Okay, beautiful. Great stuff, okay? A couple of the others. Uh bro, what's it bro bro? First name. <laughs> you told me your name earlier and I can't remember. Micah. Micah. Tell us yours, Micah. You prophet. Prophesy to us, young one. I
0: said God's love more than anything. I love the
2: whole world. And uh be obedient
1: even when you don't want to be obedient. Ooh. Good ones. Okay. Share yours, would you?
2: Being in the Word and prayer every day, uh-huh. being surrounded by Christian community, and seeking holiness in thoughts and actions.
1: Mm, ooh, ooh, whoever gets up step by you is in for some good stuff. <laughs> okay, anybody else? Would you share yours?
2: Uh, I said that God will provide that quiet time and personal time with Him is so important and to give it all
1: Okay. Okay, I'm going to take one more guy. Uh, <laughs> let's go with uh, bro right there first name again is Me? yeah uh, Tony. Tony Tony tell us yeah, so I have uh, seeking the Lord's
2: wisdom the truth um, how to be a faithful servant and then uh, the, lost,
1: the, Lord's, love for the lost. Okay, Lord's love for the lost Okay. so you get the idea here again you brainstorming this you'll come up with 10 or 20 things some of them are ministry skills maybe just the importance of learning how to share your faith uh, maybe it's the importance of Bible study, right? Okay, whatever. That's what God has built into your life. That's what you have to pass on. Okay, don't worry about what you don't know. Start with what you do. Okay? Cool. Now, here's the beautiful thing. First Corinthians 3, I'll end with this. First Corinthians 3, just write the reference down. First Corinthians 3. Um, let see which verse exactly. Okay, let's go ahead and look at it. And what we got, i promise—we're gonna stop with this. I said that five minutes ago, and that he didn't stop. I'm notorious for that. Look at First Corinthians three. We we'll end with this for sure. Six to eight, six to nine. Everybody got it? First Corinthians three six to nine. I planted, Apollos watered, God was causing the growth. Now what Paul's talking about here is he's the first one who went to Corinth to proclaim the gospel. And after that, Apollos came, and he watered the seed that Paul had sown. I plant, Apollos, what God was causing to grow. So neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. But each, now watch this, each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. There is a reward for faithful service as a laborer with Christ. For we are God's fellow workers, verse 9 you are god's field god's building but what does this tell us about our role and other people's lives and their growth we water we sow we invest we build into people but who ultimately causes the growth the lord does right so it means it's not all on you what's on you is to be faithful to show up to invest to spend time with to pass on things and god has got to work in their hearts so there's god's part and there's your part But ultimately, he's the one that causes the growth. And the beautiful thing is there's a reward coming to you for faithfulness as an instrument of growth in somebody else's life. But God causes the growth, which means what? It takes the pressure off. Sometimes you try to invest in somebody and they they just don't want to grow. They don't respond, right? You give them everything you can and they still don't want to grow. Well, if I understand that it's God who's got to do the work and that person is responsible for how they respond to what's offered to them, then I don't have this weight of guilt hanging over me that I didn't do enough. I try to be faithful, but ultimately they have a choice to respond. God's got to work in their heart and I can be at peace. Okay, that good? Are we good? Okay, we are truly going to quit. I mean, really quit. I'm not going to say one more thing. Hopefully this gives you some practical things to get started. Does it? Oh, Josh, you want to make a comment?
2: I am going to say one thing. Um, if you feel like you're in experience or want to grow in your ministry, uh, please contact any staff member. They would love to keep you sharing. Um, or you could just come to staff sharing uh, Wednesdays at 11 or Thursdays at 10 love to
1: um, Yeah, there you go. Can I pray? Okay, bro. Thanks, Lord, again for these fabulous brothers and sisters here, and their hunger, their desire. Lord, we are all uh, earthen vessels, clay pots. Nobody here has got it all together. Nobody here is a perfect discipler. We're all growing, we're learning, and uh, some of us are just beginning. But Lord, help us to by faith step out and trust your Holy Spirit to fill us and work through us. And that Lord, knowing that you're the one who's gonna work in people's hearts and that we just need to show up and be available and be faithful. And you're going you're gonna to do the work through us. And Lord, that takes all kinds of pressure off. But Lord, I desire for my brothers and sisters here to experience the joy, the pleasure of investing their life in one other person or two other people or three other people. That they would know the joy that comes from giving their life away, giving your life away. So thank you, Lord. Help us take those steps of faith needed to, uh, to experience that and to see your kingdom grow on this campus. Thank you Lord. We pray all this in Jesus name and everybody said Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yes.
0: The talk you have just listened to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. Crew is a community where the gospel captures hearts, transforms lives, and launches men and women into a lifelong adventure with Jesus Christ. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. That's PennStateCRU.org. This talk is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, Non Commercial, No Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. You are free to copy and distribute this talk to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.